0: I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. Today's thought from above is this, you are significant. If you missed the pilot episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on Good, beautiful, and true thoughts on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy, and that is why we do this podcast, to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. Kurt Thompson, who's been on this podcast, asks this question, and I think it's a good one. In what story do you believe you are living? In what story do you believe you are living? And what Kurt is asking us to do is to think about the stories that we have about life, about God, about ourselves, that are in our minds. Most of the time we construct these stories without even knowing it. It happens unconsciously. But we all have views of what the world is like, who God is like, and who we are. And so it's a really good question to ask, in what story do we believe we are living? Because we are living in stories, and as Dallas Willard says, we live at the mercy of these stories, and they can run and they can ruin our lives. When I was creating what became the Good and Beautiful series of books— I discovered pretty quickly that one of the most important narratives that we have is the narrative we have about God. Who do we think God is? What is God like? That's really, really central. And I discovered that many Christians have very toxic narratives about God, that God's angry, that God is mean, that God is up in the heavens chewing that's just sick about us and can't stand us and wants to punish us. That's a pretty common narrative. And what I discovered along the way is that we have to answer that question the right way. What is God like? The answer is Jesus. That's the only answer to that question, because we read in uh, Hebrews 1 that He is the um, exact representation of God. He's the image of God, Colossians 1:15. and Jesus said to Philip, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." So there's only one answer to the question, what is God like? And the answer is Jesus. It's fundamental that we get that right, because then we can fall in love with God, and that is central. Until we have that right, we're going to be afraid of God. God is the angry judge in the sky, the marquis de God, as Dallas said, that, that wants to punish us. How could you love that God? But equally important, I've come to believe, are our narratives about who we are, our personal identity narratives. And I discovered this along the way, after the series of books were out, when I was visiting with my friend Joe Davis, and he said, you know, the, the Good and Beautiful God really helps people with their God narratives, but I think you're missing a book. And I said, okay. He said, it's The Good and Beautiful You. It's, it's a book that would help us get our self-narratives, our personal identity narratives right. And I knew in my gut that he was right, but I wasn't ready to write it then. But as years passed, I got into the place where I was ready to write that, and I have. And The Good and Beautiful You, which has been mentioned here on this podcast, is out now, and I'm very happy about that. But in the book, what I try to do is talk about some of the false narratives that we have about who we are. These are false narratives that really make our souls suffer. For example, here's a common one my body is bad. Many, many people have issues with their bodies. We're too tall. We're too short. We're too fat. We're too thin. Something's wrong. We think that somehow if my body was different, I would be more valuable. Or how about this narrative? I'm not enough. I think that's probably the dominant narrative most people struggle with is to say, you know, somehow or another, I just am not enough. I've picked up that narrative along the way, about myself. Or how about this one? No one could really love me as I am. Or the flip side of that, if people really knew me, the true me, they couldn't possibly love me. Many of us live with that narrative. Or this one, God is mad at me. This isn't so much about God, it's about us, that there's something about us that God just doesn't like. A very common narrative. Or how about this one, I can't be forgiven for what I've done. People have done some things in their lives and they think, there's no way I could get forgiveness. There's just no way that God could possibly forgive me for what I've done. Many people live with that narrative. Or this one, my life doesn't matter. In some ways, I think this is the saddest of all of these toxic self-narratives, that my life doesn't matter. Because deep down, we know our lives were meant to count for something. So this one's very painful. Or this one, finally. I and everyone I love will die, and it'll all be over. We live with that sense of our mortality, to be sure. But there's that haunting sense that maybe this is it. It'll all be over. These are common narratives. I bet you relate to one of them, and maybe more of them. maybe all of them. I know I do, to some extent, all of these. I wrestled with them. A good question is, well, where do they come from? How are these narratives developed? Well, I've been studying that for a long time, and uh, for about about five years, learning how we create these narratives in our minds. And I think it works something like this. I'll do my best to explain it. The first thing that happens in our lives is we have experiences. Things happen to us. And then we notice them, and they have an impact on us, these experiences. But millions of things happen to us all the time. So these narratives develop only when there is what I call the lens of relevance, when something is really, really important. It's not that important what I had for breakfast this morning, but if someone I love said something terrible to me, well, that's going to matter more to me. So the lens of relevance is, is this an important thing? And then the third part of it is that it's shaped by our personal needs. We all have deep needs to be loved, to be valued, to be safe, to feel secure, and we're always looking out for what's what's what am I learning about life that's telling me who I am in regards to these personal needs. So these things all come together, and then we make some assumptions, and then we develop conclusions, and then here's the kicker. We develop unconscious beliefs. I say unconscious because we're not really aware of them. Okay. So let me give an example of how this happens. True story of a a young man uh, here at the university many years ago came to me and he told me a story about his childhood. And he said, well, you know, when I was little, my mom and dad would fight like crazy. My dad would often storm out of the house. But there was one time when the fight was really bad and dad said, I am leaving. And I remember hearing that from my room. I'm leaving. He went into his room. He grabbed a suitcase. He threw some things in it, and he started walking out of the house. And this young man said, here he was, he was a six-year-old boy. He grabbed onto his father's suitcase, begging him not to leave. Begging him, just saying, please stay, please stay. And his father drug him all the way to the car, and his father left. And that ended his relationship with his father. Now, it's just a hard story. It was a hard story to hear. It was heartbreaking to me. But think about what I've been saying about lens of relevance and personal needs. We all need to be valued and loved, to feel significant, safe, soothed, secure. An event like that is bound to make you shape a narrative. And that's exactly what this young man did. So as I was talking with him, I said, well, what did you think about this? I mean, what, what came, what's your, your takeaway from it? And he said, well, I just assumed that if I were better, he wouldn't have left us. And notice that that's an assumption, isn't it? If I were better, my dad wouldn't have left. Is there any truth to that? No, it's not. But in his mind it was. And then his conclusion was, I must not be lovable. I must not be enough. I must be no good. That's the conclusion. And then the unconscious belief is, I'm not lovable. I'm not enough. I'm no good. And as he began to talk with me, it became clear that he had lived from that moment on, from that, that six year old version of himself, that he had developed those unconscious beliefs. And it wasn't until we talked about them that he began to see, oh, this is, this is what I believe. And then we could say, okay, this is your self narrative. Is it true? Is it based on reality? All of these things happen to us throughout our lives. Maybe we learned we were adopted. Maybe we were bullied and picked on. Maybe we were fired from a job. Maybe a spouse left us. Maybe we have some physical or mental disability and we got picked on. All of these things are crucial. I remember a young woman who said that she had had a child out of wedlock and her church said that she wasn't welcome anymore. It was a very powerful experience for her, and she developed some narratives about God and about the church. So that's how they happen And the end result of all of this is that when these stories take root, shame builds a home in our soul. Shame builds this home and is counting on staying and will stay. Just as that young man from the age of six on up to college, shame had been there the whole time. I'm not enough. I'm no good. All based on a false narrative. So, If we have these, and most everyone does to some extent, then the question is, how can they be changed? How can we change these narratives about ourselves, these shaming narratives? Well, I'll tell you what won't work, and that is trying to fix it by ourselves. You remember, um, maybe you do if you're old enough, the uh, Saturday Night Live sketch uh, of Stuart Smalley. He played this pretty comical... It was kind of a farce of a a therapist or a counselor. And he would look into the mirror. He'd say, this is what you need to do. You need to look into the mirror and say, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. Well, okay, that's well-meaning. I just, okay, I'm going to just look in the mirror and say these words. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Here's the problem. You can't fix a problem with the problem. And the narrative is too deeply embedded and it's not going to work just trying to repeat some positive slogan over yourself. Because those those narratives, those unconscious beliefs are so deep, it's going to take something much more powerful. Okay, so I'm going to confess a strange thing that I like to do. It started off pretty innocently, but there was a time I was traveling and I was speaking on one of my books and I forgot to bring that book with me. And so uh, I went into a, a bookstore and I couldn't find my book. And so I said to this person at the counter, I said, excuse me, do you have any books by James Brian Smith? And this young woman was like, yeah, we do. And so she took me to the place where my book was and I grabbed the book I needed. And then this was a weird thought that came over me. and <laughs> I don't know why I did this, but I just looked at her. I said, Hey, do you know if these books are any good? And she looked at me, she goes, well, I haven't read them, but um, my grandma has, and she likes them. <laughs> so way to go, granny. My point is that when you go into a bookstore, there's lots of places you can go. And one of the most popular sections in a secular bookstore, like say Barnes and Noble is, it's now called self-transformation. Used to be called self-help, pretty big section. And here's the thing, it's not self-transformation, it's Christ transformation. That's what it is. We don't have the power within ourselves to transform ourselves. I created this problem in me. I can't fix it. Now, I'm not saying you can't get help from someone who's a therapist or counselor. I certainly believe you can. I've experienced it myself. But for me, it's when that counselor or the therapist or spiritual director was able to connect me to Christ. That's when I found the breakthrough and the transformation, when I could discover the false narrative and then move into the truth. Because here's the reality. I believe that We transform these narratives only when we can shine a light on those unconscious but very powerful false narratives. We have to shine a light on it. It has to be exposed. That's sort of what I was doing with that young man was to say, wow, so you concluded that I was shining a light on that experience that happened to him when he was six. And through prayer and some other things, he was able to see this in a different light. And here's the thing the light that we need to shine on these false narratives is the light of Christ. Jesus is the light of the world, and he comes and sheds a light on these narratives that we have about ourselves. And it's fascinating to see this happen throughout not just the Bible, but throughout Christian history and in our own individual lives, certainly mine. Because we all have identity narratives, and I've come to believe this, our identity narratives must align With the narratives of Jesus. Who does Jesus say that I am? One of my favorite writers, I've talked about him on this podcast before, Adrian von Um, Kahn. He writes these words in his book on being yourself. He says, I cannot encounter Jesus and avoid the shock of self recognition. This is a shock of grace to be taken out of the world that's drugged my original self with cheap, instant satisfactions. Boy, there's a lot to that quote. What he's saying is, is that we kind of go around trying to figure out, who am I, who am I? And we put together some this sense of who we are on the basis of what people have said to us, accomplishments, experiences, good and bad, and we piece together these things. But what he's saying is when we encounter Jesus, it's a shock of self-recognition. We begin to see who we actually are. So I mentioned that one of the most pervasive Toxic self narratives is I'm not enough. Boy, I tell you what, as I was preparing, writing this book and field testing with people, that was the one that came up the most—a basic sense of you know I'm just not enough. But here's the thing: Jesus comes and and meets each one of us and gives us the true narrative, which is I am significant to God. That's what He wants us to say about who we are. I'll just give one example, and it's one of my favorite examples. It's a story of the Samaritan woman at the well. You may remember this story. This woman comes to get water at a well um, at noon, and she comes in the daytime because, uh, later in the day, because uh, she's too ashamed to come in the morning. And we learn why she was ashamed. The other women would have come in the morning to get the, the water. She didn't feel like she was worthy to come and be with them because why? Well, we learn, Jesus tells her. He knows everything about her. And he says, You've had five husbands, and the man you're with right now is not your husband. Well, that's a very shaming thing in her culture. Now, we don't need to conclude that she was some really bad person, because in that culture, women were property. And a husband could have divorced her for really no reason, or he died. And then she goes to another person, another man, and then she would be, you know, a hand me down sort of wife. And then if he died or divorced, she goes down, down, down. So at this stage, she is in terms of a social caste, she's at the bottom. She's full of that kind of shame. So there she goes to get water. There's Jesus. Now, he's a Jewish rabbi, and she's a Samaritan woman. This conversation should never have taken place. Culturally, that never should have happened. But instead, Jesus engages her. He tells her he knows everything about her. And then he says, and I have water for you that if you drink from this living water, you'll never thirst again. And that sounds spiritual and nice but really what he's saying is is you can have this this kind of life with god you're invited to it and she's so overwhelmed at his acceptance of who she is that she's moving from shame to significance that's what happens to her it was a shock of grace as adrian von kam said and what does she do she goes back to her village and she tells everybody in the village come listen to this man and they do they come to hear jesus and then jesus tells them the same sorts of things. We don't know what he said because it's not recorded in John's gospel, but it says that many came to believe in him. And so she is regarded as the first Christian evangelist, the first person to lead people to Jesus is this woman at the well. She moves from shame to significance. It is a shock of grace. Dallas Willard says this, our hunger for significance is a signal of who we are. Let me stop right there our hunger for significance everybody has it everybody wants to be significant i've never met anybody who's like i just want to be last place i don't want my life to matter our hunger for significance is a signal of who we are and why we are here and it is also the basis of humanity's enduring response to jesus isn't that powerful it's it's why human beings have always responded to jesus because and then he says because Jesus always takes individual human beings as seriously as their shredded dignity demands. That's what he did with, the, with this woman, that shredded dignity that she was longing for, significance. Jesus takes that shredded dignity, and he has the resources, Dallas says, to carry through with his high estimate of them. So it's not us looking into a mirror and saying, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. No, no, it's looking into the face of Jesus who says, you are significant. That is the light that we shine on those toxic, unconscious beliefs, and it transforms our understanding of who we are so that we can say, I am significant to God. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, ApprenticeInstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind... Your answer will be, things above.